Hello, travelers. This is Paula Schmidt, and welcome to my theater of the mind, Evening's Kingdom. In today's episode, Uma discovers a surviving Wutar who escaped the long ago genocide of their people by doing the unthinkable. As they prepare for battle, Fern and Owain fall more deeply in love, and the warrior executioner Talu is in his element as the Chiriklo rebels storm the castle Ulali from occupying Yang forces. Evening's Kingdom, written and read by Paula Schmidt. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. We continue. Chapter 11, Uma. Even at this distance, under cover of darkness, as the great reunited diaspora of Chiriklo caravans sieged silently towards the castle Ulali across the singing sands, Uma saw the great turrets in the distance that she knew and loved so well. All this time, and her wandering had not made even one stitch on mystery's great loom, for here she was once again, and still in exile. The words of Fern's long-ago prophecy haunted her, at great cost. Yet her heart leapt to see her old home. For a moment, it felt almost as though Silvern were Isla, and she felt almost like a child again, urging her catling forwards over the rise and dip of the soaring red dunes, shadows on one side, starlight on the other, and Silvern's silent, effortless stride. Uma felt her cloak fill with ocean wind. She was glad, but at great cost. Chapter 12. Tulu. As the ragtag Chiriklo army of caravans sieged towards Ulali, it seemed to Tulu that every eye was shining, man, woman, and catling. The gods were at their back. The night was moonless. And, as Uma said... This time of year, the seas were filled with fish. The soldiers would surely have been feasting for many days and sleeping heavily. And this was what Tulu was made for, to surge with a knife in his teeth towards the sleepers outside Ulali. He was happy with rage, happy to disappear into the whole of them, their rising sea of death bringers, the Chiriklo hunting their reap. And then the murders began. Chapter 13. Reaping. Yang slept in hammocks. This made them easy to kill. Tulu crept soundlessly from one fishing shack to another. Be mindful of windows, Ogodai reminded them. A shadow could wake any warrior who might be spending the night in one of the shacks outside the castle walls. The Yang who lived outside the walls were poor, but that didn't mean they were stupid. Far from it. In fact, Ogodai said, those who lived outside the walls were likely to be the most dangerous of all, free thinkers like their own Chiriklo selves. Owain smiled at Fern. Scared, he said. She tossed her hair. Never. I am, Owain said, but only to lose you. She pressed her forehead to his. Fern could feel her heartbeat, felt herself singing all over with love, terror, and longing to dissolve in him, her beautiful Owain. She kissed his hand, held it to her mouth. But my heart is with yours. He put one hand to her heart and the other to his own. And mine is with you. Nothing can bring us apart, Fern said. 
and he crushed her to him so tightly she thought she would break. Tighter, she said. Don't let go. Nothing can bring us apart. She looked at him. Even if I die, don't let me go. Tulu brushed past them. Come now, warriors. His eyes were bright in the black of night. Or does true love make you slow? Chapter 14 Ogodai paced before his gathered warriors. He stopped and looked at them. Water becomes air, he said, quietly, gazing out at his silent army. Is this death? He held their eyes, one by one, and they were still and proud, these tired, dusty faces of the fierce, dauntless people he loved so well. Air becomes fire. Is this death? We become dreams. Is this death, my friends? Death walks the sun home across the sky, that she may rise and be born again. Death is our gift to those who live on. If I die in battle for you tonight, my people, my life has been my gift to you. And I am not afraid, for I am yours and we are home. Tonight, we take the outposts and the port. Before dawn, we set our first explosion here, beneath the gatehouse of Ulali. Her walls will fall, and we will retake our homeland. Ogodai turned to the head of the siege miners, a tall, shy Chiriklo who was called Elder Worm. The tunnel is ready. Elder Worm nodded. It will be tonight. The castle Ulali was built upon a rocky outcropping, but it was surrounded by loamy ground. Elder Worm's tunnel was designed for two explosions, the second of which would crash the gates. It would almost certainly be fatal for the Chiriklo miners who lit it. The grand old man was covered with red dust from his digging. Any tunic that survived this foray would be a memorable, crusty relic. Ah yes, little grandchildren, gather round and hear the tale of how the great Chiriklo hordes retook their ancient land of Ulali. Chapter 15 Tulu could smell weeks of good living in even the humblest of the shacks. Freshly roasted fish and salt-bright oysters, medallions of tender octopus, golden sheaves of boiled grain, eggs of every variety, lizards, fishes, birds, clean water, swept stones, and moonlit wood. While Yang sleepers snored, their dark, occupying cloaks wound about them for warmth, one by one, by scores, Tulu covered their faces and cut their throats. He killed like a catling. One quick, savage strike made to the back of the head. It was deft work to jab his knife up into the neck, severing vertebrae from spine. The body was unconscious in seconds, dead in minutes. The victims bled little, and the wound was irreversible. He seethed through the fishing shacks alone, only occasionally pairing silently with another Chiriklo when another warrior came in upon him at his work. Then, Tulu felt the hot, delicious fever of competition. It was both dread and relish. He'd die before allowing himself to lose any form of competition, even one that was unannounced. He couldn't help but quicken his pace, sometimes killing five to the others one or two. Then the other Chiriklo would smile, nod, dart away, soundlessly into the next nest. Once a house was finished, they marked its doorway in blood. In this way, 
Jericho flowed down towards the sea, bringing death to every Yang sleeper outside the walls of Ulali. As they steadily assassinated every Yang farmer, fisher, and herbalist asleep in their beds, Uma could not help but remember the Yang medicine woman and her daughter. The woman was long disappeared into the mystery, and yet she knew the healer from her enemy tribe was not past caring for this world of individuated souls. Suppose she watched over Uma now, as Uma did unto another tribe the very atrocities it had committed upon her own. For after all, this was what she'd wanted. She'd wanted it so long that the wanting was as her own blood, and now here she stood, up to her mouth in it. Damn me, Uma thought. She'd not asked for empathy for these people, and yet here it was, as if she'd swallowed stones. But a simultaneous truth. As Uma slaughtered and drank from the sleeping Yang, her heart still danced with happy hate. She fed and fed, and abruptly, as though their scent was lightning's own signature upon the air, Uma realized that, for the first time since she was a child. She was not the only Wutar alive in Ulali. She felt them in the distance, electric, alive, two others like her. Just as this strange little man had said, she ran to the door. For Uma, their humble shack beamed as if the absent moon shone directly on its rushes. But Tolu was already inside the door. Uma grabbed her friend's shoulders so hard that he spun as if to hit her. Seeing her face, Tolu froze. These are mine, she said. Tolu was quick, but not as quick as Uma. As he was still processing her words, there was a moment when they almost fell upon each other like beasts. Tolu's face was a mask of blood, his eyes bright as wet bone. His voice was raw. You know them? Suddenly, a well-aimed knife shot from behind them, shooting straight all the way through the rush wall directly past his head. The Yang soldier behind them was handsome, still drunk from feasting and slightly swaying on his feet. Ha! he cried, tilting around for something else to throw. Behind him, his Wutar wife stood fiercely, her hand at his shoulder. She was black as Uma, with locks long and beautifully tended, hanging in delicate twists down to her waist. Tolu sprang after the man, and Uma sprang for the woman, quickly pinning her to the bed. Don't! Uma covered the woman's eyes and mouth as Tolu knocked her husband to the floor behind them. Then he was dead on the ground, and Tolu was gone. The Wutar woman went wild. Mavieko! She spat into Uma's face, writhing furiously. Murderer! You murdered him! You don't know what you say, Uma said. You're the same age as me. We might have played together before they came. How could you stay here after what they did to us? How could you return? How could you be a, with one of them? I love him, the woman broke, crumpling suddenly. I love him ever since we were children. Uma did not slacken her grip. You let them in? No, nothing like that. I was outside the walls when it happened, and when I came back, I couldn't bring myself to die. What's the point? He saw they'd spared me, and I, I love him. She reached for the dead man on the floor. Diego, please let me go to him. I need to be with him. You've taken him from me. He's leaving. His soul is leaving. You can kill me. Let me go to him, God, please, woman. Uma shook her. The Yang destroyed everything of us, and you, you went on living in this nest with our murderers, eating with them, sleeping with them. Viego! The woman lunged for Uma's eyes, but Uma flung her arms away, pitting them down brutally with her own elbows. She caught the woman up by the neck and squeezed, 
Now the woman's beautiful long hair was trapped beneath her hips, raking her head back as Uma wept with rage. She slammed the woman down again and again, working her towards the far wooden wall of the shack. She would bash the woman's head there, Wutar or not. She couldn't bring herself to bite her, even as the woman roiled, trying to do as much to Uma. Then someone else was on top of them, scrabbling and hitting, smaller and faster, their daughter, the half-blood. Uma rammed the mother into the wall and whipped towards the girl, her jaws closing onto the smaller woman's neck. Long locks, dusky limbs. She drank the girl's blood in wild gulps as the child slacked in Uma's arms instantly, eyes rolling back in her head. And for a moment, Uma saw the girl's mind, understanding that her whole world, everything she'd ever known was dying, wealth, decadence, and ruin. It was the order of things, to bloom and then die. The thoughts vanished. The girl was dead. Uma threw her down beside her parents, and power gusted through her veins, searing her from within. Beneath her cloak, she felt lax as his ink flinch and dance. You made me do this, she said to him. To it, the tattoo. You've made my body a grave. If you do with me what you would have me do, but Laxus was silent. Raging, Uma paced and then fell to one knee. She bent to the unconscious woman and drank until she was dead and cold, alone again. She was the only Wutar, alive and left behind. She'd left herself behind. Only then did Laxus speak. Uma heard him in her mind as clearly as if he were beside her, speaking in her ear. No, Uma, the deathless god said. This is you. This is Paula Schmidt, and thank you for listening. For more free stories, interviews, and meditations, <laughs> please visit eveningskingdom.com. Please stay tuned. More for me is just down the road. <laughs>